And with that, welcome back to a Monday morning OGP, where as always, I am Adam Marbrecht and joined by the healthy, wealthy and wise Mr. Andy Makowitz. You know, it's a dreary, rainy day right now, and it just feels like that's very appropriate given what happened yesterday. Monday morning, right? There's a whole bunch of those there. And also, what's that other one? Manic Monday. I wish it was Sunday. Just in case anybody wanted to know, I don't sing well. But the uh, I think you're right. This is an apt weather on a Monday for what we experienced on Sunday. There's there's a lot to unpack here. But just on the surface, when you, when you first come out of what was, unfortunately, a 37-34 loss in Dallas for Big Blue on a last-second field goal, super bird's eye view. H- how did you feel coming out of that game? I thought going into the game that this was a win-win scenario for the Giants. If they won the game, they get to bury Dallas, and everything is great in, in New York, and, and you know Jerry World is on fire. If the Giants lose, it gives the Cowboys false hope, and then the Giants can start rebuilding, right? And, of course, none of that happens. (laughs) And it actually feels like this was the worst-case scenario for the New York Giants. I don't know if you feel the same way, but the fact that we competed and we played hard and we scored points and and we looked competent and had a lead in the fourth quarter, it it feels like fool's gold just knowing that the Cowboys' defense – is terrible. And then couple that with the fact that, you know, we'll get into the Dak Prescott injury. It's like the Cowboys are debilitated. They're they're not good on defense. They just lost their Pro Bowl caliber quarterback. You feel like, man, if you would have found a way to pull out that game, you think you could have an opportunity to beat Dallas again later on in the season and maybe go to the playoffs. So for me, it just feels like it's the worst case scenario for Giant fans. Well, it's brutal because getting blown out, let's go back a couple of weeks when you lose to San Francisco, right? That's about as low as you can feel because you don't even get to watch a competitive game. And yet, when you're watching a competitive game, it turns out you can feel lower because you can lose that competitive game and then realize that it just cost you X. It just cost you Y. It just stripped away some of the the good feelings that you want to pull out of this one. And we will get to that. And I think that there are a lot of things to take away in spite of the loss first divisional game. But you mentioned it there at the top as well. Unfortunately, man, this is brutal. And thankfully, I'll say, for the most part, social media has moved beyond that mentality of of taking glee in the injury of of a player when it's on the other team. Dak Prescott in this one, he's scrambling out of the pocket, gets tackled, goes down, obviously incredibly awkward, suffers a compound ankle fracture, was taken off on a cart in an air cast, went to a local hospital, has already had successful surgery, but the rehab road begins for him. Just, you know, a brutal injury, man. A a brutal injury, and you could see it on his face, the players' faces on both sides. Jason Garrett was out on the field checking on him as well. Horrible injury to suffer, feel terrible for Dak Prescott. Well, so watching it in real time, you see Dak Prescott down on the ground, and uh, I'm with my brother-in-law, and I'm I'm looking at the screen, and I look to him, and I'm like, did his did his foot come out of his shoe? Like it looked like his foot had come out, and he was just holding his knee. I'm like, oh, is that an ACL? And and he turns to me, and he's like, that's his ankle. And I and like yep. I from that moment, I could not unsee what I saw, and it would have been better being you know, bliss, ignorance is bliss in that situation. And, and yeah, it, 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 it's crazy because while we dislike Dallas, we dislike 
a lot of Dallas fans and the way that they go about, you know, carry themselves. This is one of those things where it's just bigger than any kind of rivalry that you have. You really feel for someone like Dak Prescott, who from, you know, you, when you hear him in front of the microphone, he says all the right things. He's a likable guy. Everyone in the Dallas media says that he is a great human being, not even just a great football player. And, and, you know, to couple it, the guy has bet on himself by turning down a long-term $34.5 million annual contract, knowing that his value is more than that, uh, and, he, and he wasn't going to shortchange himself. So he really bet on himself, and I feel like that's the thing that kind of hurts the most is this guy's betting on himself. He was leading the league in passing, and to have this happen, it now brings up all these questions of are they going to pay him now the money that they should pay him? I certainly hope that I think the, the the way that Dallas can look good in this quote unquote and also do right by Dak Prescott is you franchise him again next year coming off of this horrific injury. So then he's going to get another substantial payday and at least you feather him through as he recovers from this. I don't know what the timeline is going to be, but it could extend obviously into next year. So that would be the, you know, even though you should have already given him a contract, you should have you should have already been on a long-term deal in Dallas. That would be probably the way that you say, hey, you've done a ton for us, obviously. And now over a couple of seasons, you're gonna make 40 to or sorry, 75 to 80 million dollars on a couple of franchise tags, and you'll at least be financially set. Doesn't change anything for you ultimately in terms of long-term security. But I, I I do think that they will do right by him coming off this injury. They say uh, this compound ankle fracture because they took care of it right away. They said the the surgery went great. Their timetable they're saying is four to six months. Um, but but man, when when you see that injury, it, it, you just you wonder if if he can ever you know feel confident standing on that leg again in the pocket, stepping up in the pocket, or or you know he's so great making plays with his legs like is it's gonna take a lot and and you know he is a competitor but man i i i just don't you you don't know and, and that's you know the scary part about it is the future's so uncertain you know we we wish him the best i hope the giants get to compete against him in the future you know starting next year and i hope that you know in six months time we're saying you know look how great he is you know the road to recovery is bright and that's ahead of the offseason summer and training camp. So it means theoretically he could be working his way back into play playing shape as they get into their offseason program next year. So uh, all of the well wishes and thoughts with him and his recovery, I genuinely hope that he comes back and is the same caliber player. And on a day when Alex Smith gets into a game for Washington and is able to come back from what was a far more even gruesome and life-threatening injury that he suffered, he gets back on the field and another great quarterback goes down so just the brutal reality of the nfl in some ways the other uh, somewhat minor footnote here you could say is lorenzo carter did also suffer an injury a non-contact which are always terrible injuries to see because it means that it's probably more severe than getting into but you know sometimes a physical contact where something happens to you a non-contact achilles injury so he's going to be out for a substantial chunk of time and on the heels of coming into this game where oshane eximenez was placed on ir as well for this defense that is a noteworthy injury for the Giants because uh, Carter had been on the field for 89% of defensive snaps coming into the week five matchup. So a significant loss. And we had highlighted on Friday that they are getting Mayo back and <laughs> it couldn't have been any more timely. And that's not a like for like replacement, by the way, but dealing with some injuries in that linebacking core now. Yeah. You look at, you know, Lorenzo Carter, he goes down and, and just as, as a fan, I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm like, where, what are they grabbing? What are they, what are they poking at? What are they prodding at? And I'm like, oh, it looks like they're just checking out his ankle. Okay, mm -hmm. if it's just an ankle injury, you know, th that could be 
he could come back in the game today. If it's a high ankle sprain, maybe it's a couple weeks. To hear that it's a non-contact Achilles injury is is tough. And and another guy that is going to have a, a long road back, especially at the position that he plays with that type of injury. You know, a lot of people say that it's going to take maybe eighteen months for him to feel confident and be able to drive on that leg the way that he did before. And and to your point, you know. I felt like our linebacking core was our our deepest position, considering we've had a lot of guys that we drafted, and, and the emergence of Blake Martinez and Fackrell and, and Lorenzo Carter. Um, this is a tough injury, and you know, I, like we said, we wish him the best, but it's definitely going to shake up how we actually approach games on defense from a linebacking position. Yep, and you start to look at some of those youngsters. Maybe more specifically at a Cam Brown because he would be maybe a like-for-like like replacement there. We all know my boy Carter Coughlin is – you're going to have to start to call some guys up. We've seen Tay Crowder be getting some more reps here on the defensive side of the ball as well. So it's going to be start to be time to get a look at some of these young players and see what we have. I'll be curious, and we'll touch on it on Wednesday, of course, to see if the Giants make any additional moves around the roster in order to balance it out. Now losing two starters on that side of the ball. Now we switch over to the game. And, and I will also, actually, I'll do one last footnote here. A lot of social media were, were uh, chirping about the Giants players not getting over to check on Lorenzo Carter and make sure that he was okay the way all the Dallas Cowboy players did. I know this is such a minor footnote. Nobody realized what the injury was and how significant it was at the time. That's why they didn't go over. And it's not being dismissive of it. It's just that was the reality. He went down. It was a non-contact. It seemed like, to your point, little tweak. And that's why nobody really went over to it. I don't think anyone is going to be any less concerned about Lorenzo Lorenzo Carter on the back end. D- Dak Prescott's ankle was out of his sock. Like every yes. single person that was looking at it. Like I, I, I watched, uh, you know, Joe judge, Jason Garrett, even Mike McCarthy. They like kind of walked over and they looked at what the injury was. And like, they put their hands on their, their knees and they were like looking away because yeah. it was so terrible. Uh, like, like we said, Lorenzo Carter looked like it was an ankle. If ever, everyone had known that it was going to be, uh, you know, a potential career threatening injury, of course they would have gone over there. So, I, you know, we don't need to have a massive huddle around every player that gets injured. It's tough to, you know, play Monday morning quarterback on all this. Like everyone yeah. should have, you know, held hands in unison around Lorenzo Carter. It's like, we, we, we thought he had a tweaked ankle at first. So um, yep. I'm totally with you on that. Nothing move on. All right. And, and so we shall inside the game. Now this one starts out really positive for the New York football giants. Uh, they start on the defensive side of the ball early, early stages here. It seems like this happens sometimes for the uh, Dallas Cowboys. They have unlucky bounces, unlucky tips of the ball. One that bounces off of Ezekiel Elliott's hands and falls right into Fackrell's waiting arms. He has a fantastic return. We get a defensive touchdown. Uh, we're seeing the ball offensively. The, the running game looks as consistent consistent as it has to this point of the season with Devontae Freeman. What are your initial thoughts as the Giants get up in an early lead here in this one, obviously, and by halftime, it gets away from them a little bit, and we have to kind of reassess at the midway point, but a lot of positives to take away here early for the Giants. What did you like? What did you see happening here as we worked our way through the first two quarters? It, it's, it, it, it was frustrating to me, Adam. I know I should be excited to see what the Giants are doing, but there's two things that I'm thinking. One, why haven't we done this at all in any other game? You know, Devonta Freeman looked 
competent. He was moving the ball down the field. He was gaining chunk yards. And the big thing was he wasn't losing two yards on a play. He was always falling forward for three. Even mm-hmm. if he if he got hit at the line, it was three or four yards. And and that's what kept the offense moving. You know, I, I loved seeing them try to find creative ways to get the ball to Evan Ingram or swing play, yeah. reverse play, get it in his hands because Daniel Jones is maybe not having enough time to to find Evan Ingram getting open, get him the ball out in space. I loved all these things. But in the back of my mind, I just kept being like, this is more an indictment on the Dallas defense than it is like a kudos to the Giants offense because when they're giving up 35 points a game and you score 34, it's like, it's kind of, it kind of was expected for me. And I, you know, it's more on Dallas than it is on New York. Well, and I, I mean, you know, I actually, I looked at it and said, and coming into it, you think about who Dallas had played defensively, the Atlanta Falcons, right? You played the Seattle Seahawks, you played uh, the Cleveland Browns who were starting to figure things out. So those are all really solid offenses. So the fact that we went toe to toe in terms of points getting up on the board there, I really like that. And I think that the truth for this Giants offense lies somewhere in the middle when you go back and track who we played early on, some of the better defenses in the league. So I, I, I took away those positives. And as we said, coming out of last week, looking at the first quarter of the season, I also take a look. You mentioned Devontae Freeman, right? Falling forward for a few yards, just making sure that you're not getting some of those big loss plays. I also looked at what we were doing offensively. The, the playbook is continuing to open up here under Jason Garrett. So as we start to think about the good and the bad there and, and what we like or don't like, Going back to last week again and into this week, th- this continue. you start to see the evolution of what this offense is supposed to look like under him. And I did take away those positives and feel good about that. And then the unfortunate thing for me is that you get that defensive touchdown. So it does still mean now when you get to the break and it's 24-20, It's still better for this offense, but you are talking about at that break, really only having put up, you know, 13 points, 14 points, 13 points, excuse me, on the offensive side of the ball. So, you know, better than what we've done. Wasn't a high bar that we were setting, but you did look at it and say, at least we're starting to find some of that rhythm and consistency. And by the end of this thing, as we, as we walk through our ultimate perspectives on some of these players, you know, there is the, there is the fumble sack there for Daniel Jones. We know that that's brutal. I will say the mixed bag of early in this one is the, the up and downs for this offensive line in terms of pressures on Daniel Jones, still moving quickly, still running for his life a little bit. So the early momentum was a little bit of the two steps forward, one step back when you really, when you just need to say incremental progress going forward with consistency. Yeah, and it's tough too because you know they get out to the you know fourteen three lead at one point. Yeah, seventeen yeah, three, and then Dallas just comes storming back to take the lead at halftime. And you're like, man, like we we had an opportunity to put this game away in the in the first half. Like I I felt like that was a missed opportunity. The offense is humming along. The defense looked pretty good, confusing Dak Prescott. You know, especially on the on the interception, the tip play. It, it felt like the team was in a rhythm, and then given up all those big chunks at halftime, he kind of said, all right, this game's a coin flip. You know, you know what what I do want to say is I will walk back a little bit. What I was saying about how, how frustrated and and the indictment on Dallas, you still do have to go out and execute and, you Mm -hmm. know, putting up 34 points against any defense in the NFL is something that, you know, they should get a a thumbs up, a kudos to them. It's just, you know, I, I think it's just because of the way the game ended and, 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 you know, the ending of the game that kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth to say I, we left so much out there on the field. And we're going to move into some of those those key plays, key moments in the game. But overall, you talk about that early momentum is nice, but 
the thing that you started to get the sense of you were controlling, containing Dak Prescott, 14 of 21, 166 yards, you know, nothing great, nothing too terrible, no touchdowns. Now he did catch a touchdown on a nice little reverse there at one point, a uh, nice little trick, trick play there for Dallas, but it wasn't, you know, they weren't doing anything that was really blowing the doors off of it. 19 carries for 91 yards, very consistent day for Ezekiel Elliott. The reports of his demise may have been exaggerated, but one of the things again, mentioned the pressure on Daniel Jones, from the defensive front of Dallas. On the flip side, again, still trying to find consistent get-home pressure against Dak Prescott in that running game as well, run defense for the Giants. So those are the things that even as you're moving through it, you kind of have it in the back of your mind, right? Oh, boy, there, there, there's little things you're seeing in the first half that you're concerned about them rolling over into the second half. And when we do, this is really what it comes down to. So listen, you end up trailing at the break 24-20, and that's okay. Penalties or maybe the lack of some penalties really tell the tape of this one late in the game. I know there's a lot of other points that you may touch on here as far as big plays along the way, uh, but three key sequences, I'll say. You have the trick field goal play that the Giants run to perfect flag on the play for not being set on Cam Fleming. So that gets called back on what would have been a touchdown to Evan Ingram on a beautiful dime from one uh, from one uh, Dixon, our punter, Mason Dixon. They're doing a uh, Riley Dixon, excuse me, doing a great job on that touch pass. Mason Dixon. I Mason Dixon been. line, huh? Interesting. Yeah. Well, listen, it may as well have been because it was all moot in the end, I suppose is the real point. But so that gets called back. Then you talk about on another great play that would have been a Darius Slayton touchdown that gets called back on a pick play that they call against Ratley on the outside. Tony Romo did a great job in the broadcast though of highlighting why, even though you understand why they call it, it's a very weird call to make given that Ratley lined up on the outside. So the idea is that's the natural progression of his route. If you're really trying to run a pick play there on the offensive side of the ball you would have had Ratley on the inside to help disrupt that rhythm for the defense as they try to uh, keep Darius Slayton in check the final and most brutal one for me is going to be the a penalty that was not called on the first pass going to the sideline. Nice throw from a Andy Dalton after replacing, of course, Dak Prescott. Uh, B.J. Hill gets clear hold on the play. It goes by the wayside in real time. I felt like it wasn't going to get caught because they were so focused on the toes being in bounds there for Gallup. That goes by the wayside. Big play. Next one's another big chunk play, and then you get to the last second field goal opportunity. Unpack those plays for me, Andy, as you saw them. So the first one, the, the fake field goal was awesome. It looked great. It had everybody fooled. Evan Ingram. Special I'm, teams, this, baby. I, I know. I'm like, I'm like Joe Judge making his imprint on this team. That's I'm screaming, and then I see the yellow come off the bottom, and I'm like, oh, no. And then, you know, my pure fandom sets in when they say illegal shift, and they call it on Nick Gates. I'm screaming at the TV. I'm like, the center can't shift. There's nowhere for him to go. How could it be on Nick Gates? And like, I get tapped on my shoulder by my brother-in-law. He's like, they just said the wrong number. Relax. I'm like, no, but it can't be on Nick Gates. There's no way it could be. And then, you know, they show the replay. And literally, it's like a fraction of a second with Cam Fleming. Destroys such a creative and good play that no one saw coming. So that one was tough because it took points off the board. Now, Again, another one that took points off the board. You, you talked about the pass interference play by Damian Ratley. What's interesting to note, if you hear Darius Slayton talk, he's like, the design of that play is not a pick. There is no pick involved in that actual scheme. He's like, so when I caught it, like 
I, I, he's like, I'm in, I'm in Hollywood. I'm not even looking for a flag. So, so he, he, in his mind was like, I don't even understand how they would call it. And to, to Tony Romo, you know, great call out. Like you said, he basically said, why, why would he be running a slant route from the outside in if he was trying to pick somebody like it did the whole thing didn't make sense. It was completely convoluted. Um, and, and, and lastly, just because you, you put them all in order that non holding call as a fan, it kind of feels like you're crying over spilt milk when there's no call on a flag. You're like, deal with right. it. Every team deals with it. But this one literally felt terrible because it was at the end of the game. It, it pretty much put them close to field goal range. And it was so clear and obvious that he was being held. Like in real time, you didn't need to see a replay 27 times. He wasn't blocked out by someone on the inside. It was a holding call. Giant fans should feel frustrated. And I, I bet you they would, you know, the referees, if they looked at that again, would say, yes, we missed it. Yeah, you'd like to hear from the NFL on that, right? They always get those footnotes throughout footnotes throughout the week where they go, the NFL has come out and acknowledged that should have been this, that should have been that. And you go, oh, great. That, yeah, that, just that make, helped me so much three days later. Make, make me feel just like slightly better. <laughs> Be like, yeah, that's right. What I saw was true. It doesn't change the outcome of the game, but it at least gives you that like, yeah, see, I told you so. And then you move on with the loss still. <laughs> right, exactly. And then you go, and we're 0-5. Uh, so with that, we know the last second field goal. Zerline does, did, had two field goals like this where it started a little left and then hooked back in. So after, <sighs> if it hadn't been for the his previous kick that you saw hook with back that in, little hook, yeah. when this one first came off his foot, I would have been like, maybe. But because I saw the first one, I go, ah, oh, that's in. You know, you know, this one's going to get back inside of it. Let's, and this is what we've talked about wanting to do. This is an evaluation season for the Giants. We know that. So when we talk about individual performances and what we like and what we didn't like, I mentioned a little bit about Daniel Jones here as we move through it. I'm going to go back to that. I know everyone wants to harp on it and talk about the, the strip fumble. Listen, he's under pressure. Does he need to hold on to it? Yes, he, he can't fumble the ball. I understand that. And even still. 20 of 33, 222 yards, almost seven yards per completion. The Giants are trending in a better direction. We mentioned it last week, eight or so yards per passing play is where you want to be on average in the league. Uh, you know, the QBR is 60. I know that's not blowing your stack. It's an 80.6 in terms of rating. Guess what? We held Dak Prescott to a 63.9 QBR. So, you know, the, 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 I know the defense is bad for Dallas and you want to see it do better. I, I wasn't as frustrated by Daniel Jones in this one as I think some people were I really looked at it and said pretty balanced pretty consistent the offense is moving the ball the, the real frustration for me is of course the offensive line and protection and consistency now that we're seeing them move the ball through the run game fairly well 17 carries 60 yards for Freeman I said that I want to see Gallman have a couple of nice power runs he did that five for 24 in this game as well so you know the complimentary football is starting to get there and it's the yin and yang of still not being able to offer in a couple of big spots too, right? Last two-minute drive, chance to do something before that field goal happens for Dallas. And you just can't find the rhythm because you don't have consistency up front. So the Daniel Jones sack fumble is interesting because everyone talks about Daniel Jones's ball security. But how you put that sack on Daniel Jones like, is beyond me. Because if you watch the actual design of the play, they are rolling Daniel Jones out away from the pressure, which means like Andrew Thomas got destroyed. He didn't even put a hand on the guy. Like Daniel Jones is thinking, I'm rolling out to my right. If if Andrew Thomas puts an arm on his shoulder, it slows him up like to the point where he's not even thinking that it's possible that he can get tackled from behind. But it was such poor 
ta- tackling, you know, from from Andrew Thomas, that he had no idea that that guy was going to even be there. So on the Daniel Jones side, I don't really put that one on him. Fumbling is a problem. It, he does it a lot, but how can, I, I don't know how you could put that on him. But I will say to your point, I, I don't think he had a, had a bad game. I, I don't look at that and say, man, do we have the answer at quarterback? I don't look at it and say, we do have the answer at quarterback. I think we're, we're going to kind of play this out, but I did like what I saw. Like, to your point, the, the, the metrics played it out. He looked very similar to Dak Prescott when Dak, Dak Prescott was in the game. So, you know, when we move away from the offense, I love me some Bradbury. Can I just, can I just say, like, how many times can I say it? I love Bradbury. Um, did, Have they found Amari Cooper yet? Like, did they find him in the locker room? Did he, did his GPS, like Michael Scott put him into a lake, like from the office, like, where was Amari Cooper? Because he got owned by James Bradbury. In real time, we talked about it. I was watching it here with one Douglas Nori, and we, we kept saying, is, is, is that, oh, is that Amari Cooper? And it was actually Wilson that was getting a couple of catches early in this one. We said, what the heck is the number? No, he's 19. Oh, is he not in the game? There was a point where I, I thought he was not in the game. And, and that, again, now you can go two sides of it here, right? I think, first and foremost, Bradbury did a fantastic job just taking him out of the game. The flip side or balancing act here, and of course brings to light what one of the issues is for the Giants, and that's the other side of the field because Gallup had a very nice game. Wilson had a number of catches to help move the chains here in this one, but we know that we have something in Bradbury. We know that we're taking away your number one option on a weekly basis, and that is something that Giants fans should be excited to be able to hang their hat on and just say, listen, three-year investment, oh, should have gotten Byron Jones, should have given up the big money. No, we can feel really comfortable and confident about what we have, at least on one side of the field right now. You're burying the lead. C.D. Lamb, eight catches, yeah. 124 yards, 11 targets in the game. They were featuring him, and he was feasting. You, you look at Amari Cooper, four targets, two catches, 23 yards. It, it And it, like you said, it was noticeable. You're watching the game. You're like, wow, where is Cooper? And every in the four times they did throw it to him, Bradbury is all over him, breaking up pass deflections. Like, he was noticeable on the field. Now, who who wasn't noticeable on the field was one of the guys that you really were excited about coming into this year in Julian Love. And, like, when you talk about someone going missing, Julian Love did not see the field against the Cowboys. After coming in and seeing almost every snap in the first couple of weeks, they slowly started diminishing his role you know, they put, uh, you know, Adrian Colbert out there and he is getting all the reps. And Adam, what can you tell me about why Julian feel, Julian Love did not see the field at all? Well, listen, you know, you, you go back and you think about it. And there's a couple of interesting tie-ins here. We talk about those penalties in big spots. So Colbert does suffer two personal foul penalties uh, for hitting helmet to helmet on a couple of plays. And they're so incidental that, yes, it's 100% a penalty, not arguing with it. And also it's so hard when you have a player coming down from jumping to catch a ball and you're coming in that it just happens to land and hit bang, bang plays. So that's unfortunate. And I think it'll make it easier for Giants fans to say, why is Colbert out there on the field? The reason is go back to last year. I was high on Julian Love. I thought that the balance we were going to see is now you get to go ahead and let him be a part of that safety rotation. Don't ask too much of him going down into coverage because he struggled early on last year before they made that full transition with him 
And unfortunately, the numbers are bearing out that he's getting beaten up. Last week, he was on the field for the big touchdown play. That certainly plays into it as well. So the Giants, as a team, under Joe Judge, under Patrick Graham defensively, are continuing to try to find the contributors that are going to allow them to have success and have consistency. And I think that's probably the biggest factor here for Julian Love right now is consistency. You see him make a couple of nice plays here and there, even if he's not making a pass breakup. He's still right on top of the receiver, making the tackle, coming down, contributing in run support, et cetera. But then it's the blown assignment. Then it's getting lost out there in zone coverage at times. So as of right now, and we talked about it last week as far as what does the back end of this, this secondary look like, this may be, go back to the draft, the reason why we were so excited as an organization to be able to get McKinney because we understood we still need playmakers back there. We still don't know who our real contributors are going to be. And Julian Love had a red flag over top of him coming into the season. Well, another guy that really didn't see as many snaps as we know he wanted to see is Jabril Peppers. You know, like yeah. watching watching that game, you could see when they called him over to the sideline, he was visibly upset. He did not want to come out of the game. He wanted to play. And, you know, the Giants you know, had mentioned early on that they were going to be monitoring some of this stuff with him. And you almost have to have to take care of the player because he can't take care of himself because he just wants to be out there and playing hard, you know, coming mm -hmm. off an injury. What, what can you say? You know, do you feel like the giants made the right move? It looked like he was out there playing hard and they're kind of pulling him back and he wants to be there. What, where do you, where do you stand on this one? If I go the Andy Makowitz pure fan line, I'm like, why isn't he on the field? Cause he, <laughs> he makes a great play. The, the, the play before he's all over the place. Fantastic. Yeah, locks up the swing pass out to the left side. He's the one that spears him down on the sideline and makes the huge play. And then they call him out of the game and he is stomping his feet. He's being demonstrative. And also he's been nicked up. He's had these small injuries. So I, I, in some ways I appreciate that the coaching staff is like, listen, it could very well cost us in this game, but if we believe that the McKinney-Peppers tandem is the future for this deep safety unit, then we have to protect you a little bit from yourselves, and that's why you're seeing the out-snap in terms of snap counts. 50-23, to 23, Colbert saw the field over uh, a player like Jabril Peppers coming off the injury uh, from last week, and you also saw, as the footnote too, Logan Ryan, on the other hand, at free safety, played 100% of the snaps this week. 100% of the available snaps, he's taking those reps. So again, I think big picture, the Giants want to have this three- or four-headed monster there at the deep safety, and unfortunately through injuries to a couple of key players, they haven't been able to really utilize them as well as they may like to. I'll throw out, Andy. Before yep. you don't even don't even talk, talk to me. No, no, no. Talk keep, to me. Keep, keep, listen up. Listen up, buddy. I'll throw out a little footnote here for you too. Uh, some fans and us in general as well have talked about some of the experimentation around other players seeing some reps on the field. You may remember we thought, boy, how was the how was the coaching staff misusing Devontae Downs last year? That certainly turned a corner over the first couple of weeks of the season. We also said we loved the veteran special teams presence of one Nate Ebner. Did you know? Though, Andy, they were on the field for two defensive snaps. So obviously you can say that Devontae Downs is trending in the wrong direction in terms of his value on this roster. And Nate Ebner, we know he won on special teams. But on one of those two plays that they were on the field for is when the Cowboys scored a touchdown. Does it bother you at all that somehow what seems to be clear cut, no need to have these guys getting reps 
and yet somehow they're still finding their way onto the field, understanding, you, you know, you lose Carter, so you start to scramble a little bit in game. But the Nate Ebner piece of it, maybe even more surprising that just give Julian Love those reps. I know he hasn't been great, but come on, you're telling me that it's worth two snaps for Nate Ebner to be on the field? Right, right. It, it felt like they were trying to sneak him in just to be like, yes, we got away with that one. Like, we got away with that one play. And, and, rep. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. Like, give the guy a breather. If we could sneak him in and nothing bad happens, then, you know, wow, we, we did our job. But, you, you know, to me, it kind of brings up a larger question that you're asking. Like, am I frustrated about him seeing the field? Like, why are we doing these experiments? I think after this game, as a fan, I'm frustrated because I feel like we had a chance to really win that game. Like, we were in the game the whole time. Mm-hmm. And there's just a bunch of mistakes. You have the fumble from Daniel Jones. You have the pass interference on Ratley. You have the illegal shift by Cam Flum that, you know, takes back the touchdown. Uh, like, when you talk about individual performance, who's to blame for the loss? Like, where can I take my pitchfork and start, like, knocking on the door and saying, like, I am angry as a fan that we lost that game because we shouldn't have lost that game. We were leading the game in the fourth quarter there without their star quarterback. Like, who – like, that's what I'm, I'm struggling with. Like, who is the person that we should – put the blame on the doorstep of today. What I just pulled up here was the, the stat lines for the game overall. And, 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 you know, even though you put up 34 points and that's great, only 300 total yards for the New York, New York football giants offense. And I don't put that at, at Jason Garrett's feet. I put it at the offensive lines feet. And then I put it at Dave Gettleman's feet for the construction of it. Then you go a layer deeper and you say eight penalties for 81 yards. Worst game by far that doubles our game average for the start of the season here over the first four games as well. So a little bit sloppy and we highlight some of those key plays as well, but you touch on time of possession 32 to 28. So the giants win the time of possession battle. I, I really don't think that there is the end. Indi- I don't, I don't think there's an individual player to identify here. We glossed over it a little bit in terms of these positives. Go ahead and touch on the fact that we're wondering about the evolution of Darius Slayton, tough defenses that we went up against in a game where he should feast. He did feast eight for one twenty nine, sixteen 16 yards a clip. So I really like that. If I want to find a guy, you know, how about the fact that in spite of that, really fun looking around, you know, uh, sweep around there for Evan Ingram. He had just one catch. I haven't gone inside the numbers in terms of the targets there. So, uh, you know, that that could be game script as well. I I don't think that there's a player two targets as, as Andy holds up the fingers alerting me. That's a difficult, you know, but that's not him. He's only targeted twice. So it's not on him. Is it on Daniel Jones that he doesn't look to him? Eight catches for Darius Slayton. I, I, I just think it's, it's the result of where we currently are. So I'm not in the business of wanting to hang blame on one individual because I think that that's the easy way out here to the point of, well, Daniel Jones, you can't have that fumble. I get it. It's the easy one. But I, I just think that this is where we are. These are hard losses to take. And when you look at just 300 total offensive yards against this Dallas defense, if I'm going to put it on one side of the ball or the other, I'm not going to look at 37 points for the for the defense for the Giants and say, what the heck? That's a really talented offense, even without having Dak Prescott there. You know you're going to have those struggles. I think we're still just we're still working. We're still building, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You know, it does sound like you're a little bit of a Dave Gettleman apologist, Adam. But what I will say is this. The Giants were averaging 11 and a half points a game going into this game. They scored 34 against the worst defense in the league. Fine. But now we need to see if, you know, and this is where I started the show. It felt like fool's gold to me because how do you really judge if this offense is starting to get it 
when the team just gave up 300 rushing yards on the ground. And, and so that's the difficult part for me is, you know, the, the defensive side, we talk about pass rushing and pressure. We had two sacks yesterday, two. Yeah. And the same as the Dallas Cowboys, we had, we had two sacks while we were leading the game for a good portion of it, where you should be able to run downhill and start making some plays. And let's not, you know, mince words. We did give up 37 points. I know that they're a yeah. good offense, but Dak Prescott le- left the game with six minutes or so to go in the third quarter. So he only played about half the game. And so for me, that's why this is so tough and why I feel so conflicted as a giant fan this morning is because you, you don't know what you saw. You liked a little bit of what you saw. You want someone to blame. You don't know who to blame. And it's kind of like, where do we go from here? And the reality is you said it perfectly. You'd like some things of what you saw. And this is a, we came out of week four. We're coming into week five in the next three games at midway point of the season. This is what I've been saying. Watch your bill peppers and be excited that he's really good. You know, come a little bit dinged up. He looks really good. Watch Bradbury and be excited that he's really good. And we have a number one corner. Watch Blake Martinez. Be excited. Watch Dexter Lawrence. Be excited. That that's that's where we're at right now. And I don't even. That's not even a negative thing. It's just it's just a hey. Let's come down to reality here. This is where we are. So identify the quality. Get excited about the quality, and then also look and say, okay, so where are the missing pieces? Where are we still in need of talent on this roster? Again, uh, I don't want to get far ahead of it. I, when McKinney comes back, that's going to create a new dynamic on the defensive side of the ball. The bigger concern here is on. On the offensive side and just saying I just rattle off four or five names that you can be excited about watching defensively offensively that list is a lot shorter right now right it's Darius Slayton and that's it like that's really <laughs> right now if I had to make that list dramatic pause friends I know. if I had to make that list that would be the thing that I'm most excited about I'm watching Daniel Jones from a development standpoint I'm watching Andrew Thomas But, you know, when you look around the entire offensive side of the ball, there's far less things to say, oof, I'm excited about what I'm seeing here right now. And that's the dangerous thing in terms of where the rebuild is, is you don't have key pieces throughout the offense right now as it stands week five. We will, of course, be right back here Wednesday morning doing the darn thing, win or lose, three days a week, (laughs) in spite of it all. Some level of self-shame, I think, for the two of us. Sign up over there on Sportscaster. Use hashtag OGP. And as Andy Makowitz wants, needs, and demands that you know. As always, let's go Big Blue. Big Blue.